2,000 years ago, our Lord Jesus Christ taught us how we as Christians ought to live. Our Lord never sugarcoats or backs away from tough subjects. In Matthew 7:12, Jesus teaches what has come to be known as the Golden Rule. Here is his rule. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. For this is the law and the prophets. In another place, Jesus said that the law and the prophets are also summed up in these two great commands. Love God with all your heart and strength and love others as you love yourself. It becomes clear that the Christian ideal of love is truly the best rule to govern any society. Well, here we are, uh, just, uh, just about midway through chapter 7 of Matthew. Uh, next week, we begin the month of March. It's really hard to believe. And so it's basically uh, just about four or five more sermons on the Sermon on the Mount. Today, we are looking at what we call the golden rule, or, or sometimes called the golden law. The term was first used in the 1600s by Anglican clergymen and uh, theologians. And it, it describes the rule that should guide us in this life. Now, the golden rule is just a, a guideline that tells us how to treat people. In one factory in Toledo, Ohio, was this sign. I don't know if you can see it or not, but it says, the rule that governs this factory, and it's, therefore, whatsoever you would do, uh, have the men should do to you, do you even unto them. Uh, that is uh, the King James rendering of that verse. But I want you to recognize that, that there was a time in society when even though not everybody was a Christian, people were still governed by Christian principles and Christian rules. And so the owner of this factory, he was the mayor of Toledo, Samuel Jones, uh, he, he had a company that cr created um, sucker rods. Sucker rods were used in the oil industry to drill down into the ground. Um, but there in the Acme Sucker Rod Factory in Toledo was this sign, the golden rule, the rule that governs this factory. Samuel Jones was smart. He wanted harmony in the workplace. He wanted his workers to, to love each other, to get along with one another. He wanted them to be, to be in one accord. And really, if you think about it, this is what we want for our society. It's what we want for our city, our country. It's what we want in our family. We want in our marriage. It's an absolutely brilliant rule. What it do unto others is you would have them do unto you. So we understand the value of that rule. It was so important that when I was going to Sunday school as a child, if we ever got any kind of a gift, it almost always had the golden rule on it. We had pencils, we had rulers, we had a yo-yo, uh, we had uh, pencil sharpener, badges, bookmarks, and all of them had the golden rule on it. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Well, our Sunday school teachers understood how critical this rule is. 
We need to get into the habit of treating others the way we would like to be treated. Now, the golden rule is, is really a brilliant rule. I'm going to talk more about this today. But what I want you to understand today is what Jesus tells us. In Matthew 7, 12, he says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, keep on doing also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Before we tackle the first part of that verse, I want us to, to see that Jesus is saying this, this rule sums up or is the essence of the law and the prophets. Now, in case you don't know what the law and the prophets is, that's just a, another way of talking about the Old Testament. The whole Old Testament can be called the law and the prophets. The law and the prophets teach us how to live. It teaches us how to love God. It teaches us how to love one another. It's a, summa, it's a summation of God's will for God's people. In Matthew chapter 22, it records a meeting that Jesus had. One of, the, one of the teachers of law came to Jesus and said, Jesus, uh, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus says, love the Lord your God with all of your uh, heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And then he says, and the second greatest commandment, which is like the first, is love your neighbor as yourself. Once again, Jesus says that this sums up the law and the prophets. So what Jesus is saying here in the golden rule is just another way of saying, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It's a summation of God's rule for our lives. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these commands. Love God and love your neighbor as yourself. So, the golden rule is just another way to sum up God's will for his people. This, my friends, is how God's people live, or at least it's how they ought to live. Now, you're going to see in just a few moments, we need the power of God working in us to help us to live this way. But make no mistake about it, this is what God expects of you. This is the standard of God's kingdom. Remember, the Sermon on the Mount is the constitution of the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God does not belong to the kingdoms of this world. In fact, the kingdom of God is in a collision course with the kingdoms of this world. Keep that in mind. If you're gonna be a follower of Jesus Christ, you cannot be following the dictates or the principles of this world. You need to be following the dictates and the principles of the kingdom of God. So we as Christians are known for our love for one another. At least we should be known for our love for one another. Now before I go any further, I wanna point something out to you. Because I had some people uh, upset with me to, uh, once in a while because I keep asking the question, are you truly converted? Or is he truly, is she truly converted? Now, why would I do that? Why would I say that? I'll tell you why, because so much has been done in the name of Christianity by people who claim to be real Christians. 
we saw the horrendous abuses in the, uh, in the schools up north. Our, our Aboriginal community was attending these schools, and these schools were run by churches, and there were uh, atrocious, horrible things done in the name of Jesus. Well, we know that these people who were doing these things were not Christians. We were not followers of Christ. It's critical that we understand what a true Christian is, and this is the mark of a true Christian. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, keep on doing also to them. So those who are doing anything that is contrary to Scripture in the name of Jesus are not Christians. These are imposters. These are wolves and we, in sheep's clothing. These are people who are, are, are children of the evil one. Just because a person calls himself a Christian doesn't mean that they're truly born again. This is why it is critical, that it is essential that here at Cross Church, we are very, very clear about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We do not have loosey-goosey understanding of what it is to be a Christian. You have to obey Christ. You have to do things Christ's way. You have to function in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, the thing about genuine or true Christianity is that it had a very good reputation. True Christianity, down through the ages, has done extraordinary things in this world in in making life better for people everywhere. Christianity, true Christianity through the ages has, has produced clinics. They produce schools and education, feeding programs. I think of the wonderful William Booth, who after he became a Christian, had a burden for people who were on the street, had no place to go, who were, who were addicted to drugs and alcohol, and he began what is called the Salvation Army. This is what real Christianity looks like. And this is what Jesus Christ calls us to. That kind of Christianity that is all about dying to self and serving others. I had to make that point. I had to stress that. Because we're living now in a generation that really has no clue what it means to follow Christ. You and I are called to be like Jesus We are called to do what Christ tells us to do. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, keep on doing also to them. That is how we live. In the days of the early church, Tertullian, one of the church fathers in 240 AD, Tertullian, recording what was going on around him, uh, records that, that there were a number of pagan leaders who were attacking Christians. They were, he he says, they were jealous of the community of Christians who were, in fact, living by this golden rule. Can you imagine a world where people live by this golden rule, doing unto others as you would have them do unto you? Imagine a world like that. Well, that's how it was. The early church took Jesus at his word. They did exactly what he said. And we became, we as Christians became known as a very peculiar or strange people. It, it generated a lot of attention and it generated uh, a lot of, of jealousy because Christians were happy, Christians were well-established, established Christians were prosperous, Christians were sharing with one another. And so what happened is there was a great outpouring of wrath and anger against the Christians. And this is what 
Tertullian of Carthage wrote. He says, it is mainly the deeds of a love so noble that lead many to put a brand on Christians. See how they love one another, they say. But the pagans themselves are animated by mutual hatred. And see how the Christians are ready even to die for one another, they say, while the pagans themselves would sooner put others to death. It's a completely different standard. And it's hard for us in the year 2021 to imagine a world as Tertullian, Tertullian was, was describing. It was a world where it was dog eat dog. It was every man for himself. And if you were the weak link, you were the dead link. If you were the, the, the weakest on the food chain, you're dead. And along comes Christianity and everything changes. And now it's the weak person that is loved and cared for. It's the vulnerable person that is embraced and fed and clothed and helped. It was a revolution. It was radical revolution in the world at that time. And you could see how pagan leaders, godless uh, leaders would, would be threatened by this movement because it was attractive. People looked at a Christian and they thought, I want what that Christian has. Well, what did that Christian have? They had a new ethic. And the ethic was this, whatever you wish that others would do to you, keep on doing also to them. So here's a, here are Christians, not waiting to be served, not waiting to be loved, not waiting to be cared for. These are Christians who are taking the initiative. They're proactive. They're the ones that are making the first move in loving and caring for others. It was absolutely radical. So from the very beginning, Christians are known for their love for one another. But the question is this, what guides us in knowing how to love others? What do I, what do I need to know in order to properly love other people? Because in, our, in ourselves, in our sinful state, we, we really can't answer that question. It's... Uh, you know, when I hear people talk about love, I mean, that's a word that's thrown around all the time now. There's all kinds of memes on the subject, all kinds of, of, of clever sayings and plaques and love wins, and it's, uh, there's all sorts of things on the subject of love, and everybody talks about love as though they are the experts on the subject. I'm gonna tell you something. We who are are human, are sinful, and we don't really fully grasp or understand what love is. And it's for this reason we go to the scripture. We go to God who is described as love. God is the one who defines for us what love is. He tells us how to live. We're gonna, in the future, I think, have to have a, a really good sermon series that actually discusses what love is. Because I can tell you that the, that the sinful mind, the natural mind, or the flesh, as Paul calls it, cannot understand what real love is. So let's get back to our subject at hand. Jesus tells us that the beginning of love is making sure that we treat others as we wish to be treated. So let me just give you uh, an answer to that question. How do we know how to love each other? And it's simple. Do this. How do you want to be treated? That's how you should treat people. 
So here we go. Real love does to others what is wished for self. When driving, I let people in. Why? Because I want to be left in, let in. Um, when, I, when, I, when I see people on the street or in the store or wherever, I smile at them. Sometimes I wave. Um, and I understand that that's what fathers do. Uh, maybe I'm getting old now, I don't know. But why do I do it? Because I like it when people smile at me. I like it when people wave or nod. Uh, it's a kind gesture. We want to have a happy world. And if you want to have a happy world, you have to be happy. Uh, I went to a, a restaurant just almost, almost immediately after they opened because I like to go and sit and I like to do work. I like to have something to eat. I like to read, and, uh, and I, I don't do it all the time, but when I can, I sure like to do it. Well, I went into, I won't name the restaurant, and I, uh, the first thing I said is hello to the hostess. She didn't say hello to me. She didn't look at me. She didn't smile. I said, it must be nice to be open now. Yeah. And what do you, what do you want, seating for one or for two? I said, oh, it'll just be, just for myself, thank you very much. She didn't smile at me. She didn't uh, say, I'm so glad to see you. We've been closed all these months. It's so wonderful to be open. So wonderful to have you come and give us your patronage. Nothing like that. It was threw down the, 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 the menu, and that's where you're sitting, and uh, your, your waitress will be with you in a minute. Not a smile, not a welcome, nothing. So immediately, this is how I feel. I feel like, if this is how you want to be, I know that there's another chicken place just down the street. In fact, there's one right next door that I could go to. And then I thought, you know what? This poor girl has probably been on her feet nonstop, and she's probably tired. She's probably, I know she was a little bit overweight, so maybe she's been on her feet all day. I don't know. I know what it's like to be overweight and be on my feet all day. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to be kind to her. Why? Because I would want someone to be kind to me. I would want somebody to overlook my faults. Hey, this is what Christianity is. Our natural instinct is to get even, to say something, to put them in their place. And I can tell you, uh, with shame, uh, I have at times done that, and I, uh, and I feel very low about that. Hey, but you know what? Your pastor is human, and I'm going to be honest, and I'm going to be, uh, I'm with you in this struggle to be kind to others, to do unto others as I, as I would have them do unto me. I am merciful to people because I want them to be merciful to me. I forgive others because I want them to forgive me. I help people on the side of the road because I hope that in the hour that I'm in need, someone would help me out at the side of the word. I, I offer words of encouragement and gratitude because I like it when people offer words of gratitude and encouragement to me. You see how this works. Now, can you imagine a world where all of us are treating each other the way we want to be treated? It's a game changer. It's a world changer. It changes everything. So often I hear Christians talk about, about what should I do as a Christian? Well, why don't you begin here? It's very simple. In fact, it's, it's, it's so simple that it's not so simple. This is how we treat one another. And this is the beginning of real Christianity. It's an obedience to Christ. It's an obedience to him where we do what he tells us to do. Jesus says, when we live like this, this actually sums up God's will for your life. It sums up the law and the prophets. This is what governs Christians' behavior. Now, how do we live this out? 
We know that we need to do this, but how do we do this? Before I answer that question, I wanna show you uh, something very interesting. You may have seen something like this before. And it's at the center of this, uh, this graphic is the, is the, the uh, term, the golden rule. And what, this, uh, what the creator of this, of this golden rule poster has tried to do is to show how all of the world's religions all have some form of the golden rule. So um, I, I'm just gonna just share with you just a few of them. Now remember, just, just, just remember quickly, the golden rule, very simply, in Christian terms, is do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Or as it says in the American um, Standard, or the ESV, whatsoever or whatever you wish that others would do to you, keep on doing also to them. All of these, all of these uh, so-called golden rules of the other religions are all stated negatively. Listen to this. In Hinduism, quote, this is the sum of duty. Do not do to others what would cause pain if done to you. In Buddhism, treat not others in ways that you yourself would find hurtful. Stated negatively. Islam, not one of you truly believes until you wish for others what you wish for yourself. That comes a little closer. Judaism's Hillel says, what is hateful to you, do not do to your neighbor. This is the whole Torah, all the rest is commentary. So you quickly begin to see that there is a distinct difference between the Christian golden rule and the golden rule of all other religions. Now you might think that I am splitting hairs here, but I'm not. These, these, these world religions are teaching a principle and preaching or teaching it in such a way that it is telling you what not to do. So in other words, if you did nothing, that would be great. But Christianity is different. Christianity doesn't give you that option to sit back and do nothing. No, Christianity is proactive. Christianity is all about doing God's will on earth as it is in heaven. It's not so much reactive as much as it is proactive. In other words, Christians always make the first move. We always take the step, the first step. If we are going to, to follow Christ, and if we are going to see his kingdom fulfilled here on earth, as members of his kingdom, we need to live as he's called us to live. Actively doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. In other words, we're not waiting for people to do anything. We are making that first move. And so I want you to see that today. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, keep on doing also to them. Notice that you make the first move. I, as a Christian, make the first move. We're constantly making Christian moves. And what's the Christian move? We are actively seeking to be loving towards other people. We are actively seeking to be kind, to be merciful, to be generous. Or if you want, let's, we can run through the fruit of the Spirit. Love, being loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, kind, good, faithful, 
and uh, gentle and self-controlled. This is what it means to be truly Christian. We're making the move. We're not sitting back doing nothing. Because if you follow the instruction of the other religions, it's basically sit back, and as long as you don't do anything, everything's great. But Jesus says, no, you need to move out and you need to do what I'm telling you to do. Christians don't wait for someone to be kind to them so that they can in turn be kind. No, Christians are kind to others. And of course the hope is they'll be kind back. But even if they're not, we don't care. We're gonna continue to obey Jesus. We're gonna continue to do good regardless of what he's done to us. I can tell you that once you get a hold of that idea, it's a game changer. I can tell you over the years, I've known many, many people, some people even in my own family that have, have not been loving towards me, but what am I doing? I am trying to obey Christ by loving them. I am kind to them. I am merciful. I am patient. Not always. I mean, you, those who know me best know that I struggle and I'm, I can sometimes be vocal about that. But ultimately what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to do what Jesus has called me to do. I want you to see something here. You'll notice in brackets, I've included uh, the, the words keep on and doing. In the, in the ESV, it simply says, so whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. I want you to see that word do, because that word do in the Greek is the imperative and it's in the present active tense. We talked about this last week when we talked about ask and you shall receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be opened unto you. Again, ask, seek, and knock are in the imperative and the present active tense. So that's why, and NLT does a good job on this one, it says keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And so here we have to say the same thing. Keep on doing good to others. Don't stop. Because here's what I know about myself, and I know that it's the same for you. You are kind to somebody. They don't respond the way you want them to respond. They, they rebuff your kindness. They treat you badly, like my experience in the restaurant. I smile. I try to chit-chat. I try to be kind, and I'm, I'm, I'm met with stony silence. In fact, even a belligerence and even uh, an unkindness. Jesus says, keep on doing it. Don't stop. Uh, can you imagine if that's what happened at your house? Could you imagine if in your marriage, uh, husbands and wives just kept on being loving and kind regardless of the response or the reaction of the children or the kids or the dog? This is what it means to be a Christian. Now, I'm gonna tell you flat out, you can't do this in your own strength. You need, first of all, to have a sense that you belong to Christ, that you have been born again, that you've put your faith in the one who laid down his life for you so that you too would follow in his steps. Listen, if Christ can suffer for me, then I can suffer for him, plain and simple. And quite frankly, sometimes it does feel when I'm being kind or when I'm, when I'm doing good that it is painful because I'm not getting the reaction that I'm looking for or that I'm hoping for. This is the wonderful thing about Christianity. It's not, I will be kind to you if you're kind to me. No, we're, we're not reactive. We are proactive. We're gonna continue to be kind 
And you know, there's been people over the years that we've been kind to, and for whatever reason, they have decided that, that they're angry at us, and they, they, they turn against us, they badmouth us. So what's, what's gonna be my reaction? Am I gonna, am I gonna start up the rumor mill and start doing my counter uh, offensive and, and start sending out, out stories about the other people and making sure everybody knows the truth and knows the facts? Well, it's tempting to do that, and I must confess there's times when I've done that and I feel ashamed of myself, but it's not, it's not the will of God. No, we keep on doing good. Even when people are unkind to us, even when people stab us in the back, even people gossip about us, even when people uh, actually do things that were gonna cut us down. It's pretty sad when, when you've got people who you think love you are talking about you behind your back, backstabbing you hurting you, I've experienced it. And that is, I think to me, the most painful thing I've ever experienced. I've experienced pain, bodily pain, and severe bodily pain, but nothing is more painful than having people that you love stab you in the back. Can I remind you, it happened to Jesus. Peter stabbed him in the back, didn't he? Oh, Peter, oh, Jesus, I'll never forsake you. I'll never leave you. When, you. when you are in your darkest hour, you can depend on me. I'll be there. You know the story. Jesus was dragged away on the way to the crucifixion. And people said, hey, Peter, aren't you, aren't you one of the disciples? Peter said, no, and, it, and, and not just once, but three times. And, and not, not just no, I didn't know him, but cursing. I didn't know that man. Think about that. No wonder after Jesus was crucified that Peter wept bitter tears. But isn't it beautiful what Jesus did? Once Jesus rose from the dead and came face to face with Peter, what did he do? He reinstated him. For every denial of Christ, Jesus asked him, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? three times. What's he doing? Jesus is undoing Peter's unfaithfulness, his lack of love. And then he's saying, Peter, I love you. I want you to go now and feed my sheep. You belong to me. I haven't forsaken you. I haven't treated you, Peter, the way you treated me. It's one of the most powerful messages in scripture one of the most powerful stories. So Jesus tells us to keep on doing good to others. And why should we listen to him? Because Jesus practiced what he preached. No matter what people said or did to him, he loved them. Do you remember when Jesus was hanging from the cross? They're jeering at him. They're laughing. They're mocking at him. And what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Jesus, even hanging on the cross to the point of breathing his last breath, he kept on doing good. This is our example. This is who we follow. This is our master and our savior. Oh, the, the, the thrill of following Jesus. It's not like anything this world has to offer. True Christianity is of another kingdom. It's of another world. It's of the kingdom of God. And this, my friends, is what Jesus Christ calls us to live in the 
power of the Holy Spirit. And we know that we can do this because we have been born again. We have been made new creations through Christ. And if you are a new creation through Christ, you are not just following great rules and guidelines. You are now adopting and become part of a whole new way of living in the power of the Holy Spirit. Sadly, too many of us don't live this way. We'd rather get even. We'd rather do things the way the world does things. But listen, once we're converted, we receive the Holy Spirit, and he leads us in all of our interactions with others. You've, you've heard me, uh, some of you have anyway, have heard me talk about Mrs. Toplenicki. She was our neighbor when we lived on Coburg Avenue. She was our next door neighbor, and, and the houses on that street, I think, are maybe, maybe six feet apart. And uh, we were kids. We all had uh, three boys um, and my sister. We had bikes, and there was always mud between the houses. Grass never grew there. And so we were, always, we were always running through there, splashing mud onto her house. She's an older lady, beautiful white stucco house. Ours is a red brick house. And, uh, and uh, frankly, we were on her grass all the time, and we were making a mess all the time. In fact, one day with one of my friends, Herb Vilhaber, we were throwing, we were making mud pies and throwing it against the window to see how big a plop we could get to stick on her window. I wonder why she was angry. <laughs> we, uh, we had the hose there, and so we threw a, a plop of mud against her beautiful big glass uh, picture. It's a picture frame window. Uh, I can't remember what you call it, but anyways, we wash it off and then do it again. And, uh, and, and then the, the last plop of mud that went up on that glass window was thrown by Herb. And uh, she came out and she just slapped him across the face. <laughs> it was horrible. Uh, people would phone the police today for that. But we, we kids, we knew we were clearly in the wrong. But it hadn't occurred to us that it wasn't a good idea to throw mud at someone's window. We were just having fun. Well, I'm going to tell you, once I became a Christian, as just a young boy, God moved in my heart, and I knew that I had to make, make peace with Mrs. Toplenicki. And so I had a paper route, and I decided that what I was going to do is I was going to buy her a rose. I, I went to the florist, which was on Hespler at that time, and uh, I knocked on her front door, and I said, Mrs. Toplenicki, this is for you. She started to cry, and she grabbed me by the arm. I thought, oh, no, she's going to bring me into her dungeon and kill me. <laughs> but she, she brought me into her house, and she gave me a hug and a kiss, and we became fast friends after that. And I can tell you, it changed the way I lived. I was no longer trying to walk. I tried very carefully never to walk on her grass and make sure there's no garbage on her, on her side of the yard. But that was a transformation that happened because I'd become born again. And I'm telling you, I was just a child. I wasn't very old. I, I, I couldn't be more than eight, between eight or 10 years of age. But I knew, I knew that this, is, this had to change. I had to now keep on doing good to her, even though before that she was the enemy. And if we could somehow prank her or make her upset, play knock on ginger, do anything to torment the old lady, that was, that was great. But once I was born again, I knew I couldn't live that way anymore. I couldn't treat her like that. Whatever you wish that others would do to you, keep on doing also to them. This is how we live. 
loving and caring for others. So that's the first thing that I want you to see. You and I have to make the first move and we gotta keep doing it. But there's something else I want you to see here. You'll notice on this, on this verse that I have highlighted the word so. This little word is often overlooked. In fact, in the New Living Translation, it's missed altogether. The King James has a therefore, which is perfect. That's a great word. Uh, the, the New American Standard, it says, it begins the verse with, in everything therefore. Listen, when, when you see that so or that therefore, you need to find out what it's there for. And what you see here is that this so or the therefore is pointing us back to the verses that precede verse 12. Now, if you were part of the service last week, you know that we talked about prayer. Jesus says, keep on asking and you will receive. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be open to you. And then Jesus says, to help us to just drive this home, he, he, he makes it clear that God is our father. And he says, if you who are, are of this world know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more does your father in heaven know how to give good gifts to you? If your child asks you for fish, you're not gonna give your child a snake. If, you're, if your child asks you for a loaf of bread, you're not gonna give him a stone. And then he launches into this passage. So, therefore, based on what we know about a loving heavenly father, this is how you should live. Now, just let that sink in for a moment. It's powerful. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Based on who God is and how much he loves me and how much he takes care of me, we should live like this, doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. He's telling us that the golden rule is based on the knowledge that God is our Father and he will take care of us. Think about that. Why, why aren't we kind to people? Why don't we meet the needs of others? Why won't we share? Why won't we sponsor a child? Why won't we support the work in Africa? Why won't we do that? Because we've got to take care of ourselves. We've got to look out for number one. I can't trust my Father in heaven to take care of me. I've got to take care of myself. Sir Terry Pratchett said in one of his books, do unto others before they do unto you. <laughs> Kill or be killed. Survival of the fittest and make my day. We have all heard these phrases at one time or another, but boy, does that ever sum up the human nature, doesn't it? It's a dog-eat-dog -dog world out there. But we as Christians are called not to be of this world. We're to, called to be in this world, living like Christ. Living as people who have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. Living as people who put our faith in the one who has overcome sin, who has overcome death, who was resurrected from the dead and has given us new life. That's who we are. So we don't live like this. 
doing unto others before they do unto us. I can remember the first time I heard that, I laughed myself sick because I think it is so witty and so funny. And it's funny because it's absolutely ridiculous and it's opposite to what Jesus expects from us. Uh, The golden rule is not thrown in haphazardly. It's there because it is, in fact, the conclusion of what it means to have God as our Father. Think about that. Because God's your Father, he's gonna meet your every need. You no longer have to worry about yourself, and you no longer have to worry about what others do to you, or what others think of you, or what others say to you. You now have the attitude of one who trusts God, who trusts in the God who will love you and care for you and meet your every need. He will give you the loaf of bread if you ask for bread. He will give you a fish if you ask for a fish. If you ask, you will, you will receive. If you seek, you will find. If you knock, the door will be open unto you. It's a beautiful picture of who the Father is. And And because of that, you no longer have to look out for numero uno. You don't have to look out for yourself anymore. You don't have to put yourself first. You don't have to live in fear anymore. Rather, you live in a total trust in the God who will never let you down. When you live like that, when you have that kind of faith, it's amazing how much you can love and care for other people. It's amazing what length you can go to. It's amazing how much you will give and how much you will do if you trust God that way. Look at this verse. I love this verse. First Peter chapter 1, verse 22. You were cleansed from your sins when you obeyed the truth. So now you must show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Here we're talking about the Christian life. Love each other deeply with all your heart. This is what it means to be a Christian. Now that you are a follower of Jesus Christ, now that your sins have been washed away because you have obeyed the truth. And by the way, what is the truth? Well, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When you follow Christ, when you obey him, when you follow the golden rule, It's clear that you have put your faith in Jesus and your sins have been washed away and now you've got a new, a brand new way to live. You are living a life that shows sincere love to other people, loving each other deeply with all your heart. There's nothing fake about this. You can't fake this. There's, There's no room for hypocrisy. This is a Christian, this is what I'm talking about, real Christianity. It's impossible to pretend or to act this out. This is is the real faith. This is real Christianity. And by the way, this is the real Christianity that is attractive and winsome to a broken and hurting world. This is what people are looking for. But I want you to see something. It begins with Christ. It begins with having your sins washed away by putting your faith in Christ and Christianity is all about obedience to Christ. When you live that way, wow, what a transformation. You know, I'm gonna close with this. Last night, we, we had our, our banquet, and we 
wanted to sponsor 120 children. And we did give a total. And since that total, there's a few more uh, names that came up. But before I, I show you those totals, let me just say this. You know, speaking, speaking as one who follows the golden rule or who seeks to follow the golden rule, as a parent, if something happened to me, God forbid, and I was unable to provide loving care for my children, I can tell you with all my heart, I would want somebody else to fill in for me. I would want somebody else to love my precious children in a way that I, I couldn't because I wasn't here. That's exactly what we find here. These children, some of them, their parents have, have left them as orphans. Some of these children, their parents have died. Some of them are, are vulnerable and their parents cannot help them. They just don't have the means. I can tell you, if I were in that situation, I would want somebody to love my kids. I would want somebody to care for them. I would want somebody to step up and say, Alan, you can't do it, but I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna help you. I have, I have the means. And that's what we have. We have the means. Can you hear the words of Christ echoing in your ears? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Yes, I would want someone to care for my kids. And so that's why we are caring for a good number of kids at VOH. And I thank God for the numbers of people in our church and the friends of Cross Church who are supporting the work that we do there. There are people in this congregation that are sponsoring 5, 10, 15, 20, over 20 kids. That's right, one family sponsoring all these kids. Why? Because it's a priority. They're doing unto others as they would have others do unto them. And you know what? Jesus tells us to keep on doing it. Do unto others. Keep on doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so folks, I am so thrilled, so delighted to tell you that this is the final tally uh, of this banquet. Now I say the final tally, but in fact, we're gonna keep this up and, and just keep asking until we get all those kids sponsored. But we give God the glory for 55 out of 120 children sponsored. And I know that there are still others that are coming in yet, but folks, please join us. Please ask your friends and your, and your neighbors and, and, and whoever you know to, to please help us get these kids sponsored. Yesterday, I shared how uh, a, a man I'd met on the airplane uh, in 15 months ago, back in November, I believe, of 2019. I told him all about our work in Burundi, and he gave me his card, and he said, well, send me an email and let me know how I can sponsor a child. And yesterday afternoon, if you can believe it, out of the blue, uh, I got a text or email. Someone asked, who is this guy from Germany sponsoring a couple of our children? Well, it turned out to be my friend, Uwe. And he took a child and he double-sponsored that child. And all it takes is just somebody sharing, sharing the news, somebody asking. That's all I did was just a simple ask. What's the worst that can happen? They say no. So ask, please. Now, I just thank God that we 
were able to bring in the kind of funds that we brought in in spite of the fact that we couldn't gather together. But let me just share with you the new total. And I'm going to tell you that so much of what we've raised is going to go towards establishing new classes for our, our school in Moravia. We've We're up to grade three, but we got to get up to grade 12. So thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity and sharing. And so if you want to do a little drum roll there at your house, here is the final tally. It's $87,000. We are thanking God this morning. And I'm going to tell you, we can, we can do unto others in love because God is our Father. We can do this. You can give. You can support. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to worry about yourself. The Bible is very clear over and over again. When you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord. This is what it says in Proverbs. God will provide for you. He'll meet all your needs. And I'm going to tell you, quite frankly, this is a step of faith. To take the step of faith, you, uh, you, you need to truly trust God to meet all your needs. And he will, because he makes that promise. And we've already learned God can't break his promises. Father, thank you for the joy and the privilege that's ours to live this life in the power of the Holy Spirit. Give us the grace to keep on doing good. Keep on doing unto others as we would have them do unto us. Help us not to grow weary in doing good. Thank you, God, that you're our Father. You never fail us. You never let us down. You meet every one of our needs. And we give you the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody say it with me, amen, amen. God bless you and uh, go do unto others and keep on doing unto others as you would have them do unto you. Have a great day.